All right. Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. This is Tom. And as you all know, Show and Tell is the show where we like to bring on a cool guest to talk about something cool that they're working on. And today's cool guest is none other than podcaster, convention organizer, and everything else, uh, Michael Ross. And the cool thing we're going to be talking about is an RPG he's been working on called Action 12 Cinemas. Welcome, Michael. Thanks so much for having me, man. I love the RPG Academy. You guys do great work here. Thank you. I mean, I've been really looking forward to Action 12 Cinema for a while now. So I'm excited to talk to you today and actually find out about what it actually is. Great. Okay. Well, en- enough of that. All right. So, um, so, all right. So, yeah. So this is, uh, you may be like, Tom, why are you recording Michael? All right. Uh, you know, Michael, you know, Action 12 Cinema. And I, yeah, I've even, I've helped a little bit, but we still need a show and tell because we're going to, I'm going to ask Michael some questions that may make him feel a little bit uncomfortable, you know, because Ooh. guess what? He's in my house. Now, That's right. So. <laughs> I'm in okay. your house. There it is. Okay. So, Michael, how do you feel about talking about the game at this point? I truly am excited about it. I mean, obviously, anybody who knows me who's listening, I'm an excitable person. I love talking about the things that I love. And this game has absolutely turned into something that I love. I okay. love playing the game. I love sharing it with other people. It's allowing me to tell a certain type of RPG story that I really enjoy telling. It takes a lot of the anxiety off of me as far as running games, because even though I've been running games for 35, 37 years now, it seems like I still get anxious before every single game. And I don't really get that here as much. I mean, there's still anxiety because I'm showing people a game I wrote, but it takes away, because it's a GMless game, it takes away that anxiety of, did I prepare enough? Is this going to be a fun game for people? It it puts that off of me in the moment to me having created this game. And it seems to be working pretty well. Okay. And I'm excited. I really am. Right now we're recording. We're less than three weeks away from the launch of the Kickstarter. And it's almost become like Christmas to me where I just kind of wanted to get here. Like, I, even though there's stuff to do and I'm not technically ready right now, I just wanted to get here so we can just do it. Okay, so we're going to get into all that stuff, but you kind of mentioned something. You talked about getting anxious with games. Have you played many GMless games or facilitated them no. before this? Other than Action 12 Cinema, I, I played in one game of Fiasco, and I think I facilitated one game of fiasco and I'm I'm not sure if those were the same game or not. I think I played it twice. And beyond that, I can't think of a lot of GMless games that I've played. Uh none really come to mind. Okay. All right. So I wanna let's talk about then like what makes you tick. Okay. Right? Okay. So I we everybody kind of feel like knows your your history and stuff, especially if they've been listening to a lot for a long time. But I wanted to ask you like why RPGs? Like, what about them? Like, think about it going all the way oh, yeah. back. Like, why play RPGs? Well, it, it started, I think, as a lot of people do. I was a pretty good storyteller. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you heard this or not, Tom, but I kind of want to be a writer. And I, I have heard it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Too many times. So I've always had this, you know, the storytelling bent. I like creating stories. I like creating plots. And as a younger GM, when I was, you know, high school and college and stuff, and I, I was much more of a dictatorial DM, and it was, you know, they were playing my story. I still could craft good games that people enjoyed playing because I was good at that. And over time, my style is sort of transferred into this more shared collaborative storytelling. But I still pepper in details that make them Michael games, that make them, you know, my flair for storytelling. And truth be told, I think I'm good at it. I really do. So I can help craft interesting situations, but I still let the players take the reins in a lot of ways. And I kind of condense down that element into this GMless game where it's letting me do the things that I enjoy doing the most um, more often. Okay. So why then... All right, so there's that's running games, playing games. Why design a game? Or I guess a better question for you is, we'll get into why, but is this the first thing that you feel like you've designed? In a complete way, absolutely. Um, you know, I've, I've said this many times on on various shows we've done. I think anyone who runs games long enough becomes an armchair game designer. You you hack things. You you like a rule, so you implement it more. You dislike a rule, so you ignore it. You like this game's rule, so you bring it into a different game. I just think that's kind of the natural evolution of anybody who runs games enough. You start to do that. So I've definitely hacked games off and on. And in college, I actually created my own system. It was called Arcane Realms. It was the first game that I designed but I never actually designed it. I had some loose ideas and I played around with some stuff. This is the first thing that I can say is actually a game. It actually works. And, you know, I still want it to get better. I still want to do one more write, uh, writing pass. That's part of the Kickstarter process. I want to do one more writing pass. I added a new rule mechanic just like two, three weeks ago. So it's still evolving. But right now, if I gave you the PDF you could play it with your group. Okay. There might be some rough patches because I'm still learning how to write a game book, but it exists without me where those other games didn't. Like if I wasn't there, they didn't truly exist. This is now an independent creation that in the current form I could put into the world and people could play it. Okay. So then if I read that PDF, what am I going to find? What is the, what's the elevator pitch for Action 12 Cinema? So it is B-movie action, D12 dice. It's a GMless game, zero prep. And, you know, and we're probably, I'm probably circling and cycling through a couple different avenues of questioning. But basically, it's designed in a way that it's not, it's not going to replace anybody's campaign. Like, I don't think anyone's going to be like, this is the game they play for the next two years. It's a game for when you go to a convention or you just want to have a one night game session. Maybe it's because you're in between campaigns, maybe the GM's having a, a rough night and they need a night off, or two players can't make it, but you don't want to cancel. It's like it's like a fill-in game. It's self-contained. You don't have to do any prep work, so there's no, again, the GM doesn't have to do any work. You just sit down, and the game provides enough prompts so that you can just start playing, and then you can be done two, three, four, five, six hours, really as much time as you want to put into it, You'll have a really fun time. Hopefully, you'll be laughing and joking, but that's it. And then you, then you can be done and you can move on to the, another game another time. Okay. 
the it's interesting though because i almost so kind of just looking at this and what i know and i've played it one time i would lump this game into a category of games that i have started calling party rpgs and i don't it's weird because i feel like fiasco at one point was kind of going this route but then this idea of games being meant for a uh, a more quick, not you know, like a one shot or just a time to have fun with your friends. And that's kind of, it's more about the atmosphere and the environment around the table. And I'm getting a lot of that same vibes from this game. And I recently had this conversation with Ursa Dice about you meet in a dungeon. Mm-hmm. It's very similar because they designed the game to be very much like a party game. Right. Like you could play, you know, beer and pretzels, you know, or in your case, ale eight and whatever, right. you yeah. know, whatever. But so do you, are you okay calling this game like a, a party game? Do you think that's, you know, reductive at all? Not not at all. I, I've, I've tried to start using this analogy that, are you familiar with the game The Mind? Yes. My RPG is the equivalent of The Mind. And I've said this before in case you haven't heard it. The first time I played The Mind, I was simultaneously impressed and angry because it's just a deck of cards that go one to a hundred. And whoever designed that should be ashamed of themselves for saying they created a game when it's just a deck of cards that go zero to a hundred. And yet I've had more fun playing The Mind than maybe any other game in the last couple of years. I play it all the time at game nights. I play it all the time at our faculty retreats. We play it at Gen Con, play it at a Catacon. It's a ton of fun, even though it's just a deck of cards that goes one to a hundred. But the, the, the genius of that is that it's such a simple game, but the way that it interacts with the people at the table, the way it facilitates the interaction between players is the genius and what makes it fun. And I'm not going to say Action 12 Cinema is a work of genius, but it's just very simple. It's not complex. It, there's not a lot of mechanical heft. It's not going to win any awards at any's for the mechanics. But it still allows and facilitates an interaction at the table between players that just is a ton of fun. And that's, I'm absolutely happy to say that's what this game is. It's not complex, but it it facilitates a type of play that if that's what you're looking for, absolutely delivers on. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because when you talk about the mind, it's nobody would ever say like I would never say like oh my favorite game is the mind, I it but we play it all the time all the time right and it's just kind of this thing where it's like oh okay we're in between games or this person's got to go do something for the next twenty minutes so hey let's just play right the mind like when you think about the faculty retreat like you said we never say oh we played the mind today is like the big game we played yeah. terraforming mars we played the batman game we played a role playing game but we play the mind sort of in between those other games or like you said like we're maybe it's lunchtime and a couple of us are doing other things so we don't have time to get into a deep game so we kind of play it as almost like a filler but it's a perfect game for that and that's what I'm trying to do with Action 12 Cinema. I don't expect anyone to be like, oh, I'm never playing Pathfinder again, or I'm never going to play Forbidden Lands. But on a one night where you can't play your regular game, this will be a ton of fun for you to play in between a campaign that can't go or you're starting over. Again, you go to a convention, you've just got like three hours to, to blow. 
That's exactly what I want this to be. So again, that beer and pretzels or that just sort of party game. I love that banner because that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's just it's so weird that there aren't more people uh, kind of doing that with like intention. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like nobody says, oh, yeah, until recently, I've started talking to a few people who are like, yeah, that's what my game is supposed to be. Nobody's like, oh, yeah, I just want my game to be this stupid, silly party game. <laughs> like every, like RPG people just don't do that. And I feel like it's a market that is board game companies take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like RPG designers just aren't, be- I don't know, this is just me getting on RPG designers. They're all too, <laughs> you know, highfalutin. They're trying to make the next big thing. Just make something smart, make something fun, and people will play it. That's so. what I'm trying to do. Again, I absolutely, you know, the, the fact that it's GMless was a marketing decision. Like I went back and forth for a long time. It wasn't a GMless game. It was a low prep GM game. And over time, it's just like, why not just go full GM? Because then it can fill a niche that other games don't or can't. And, you know, again, it, I, I started that as a marketing ploy, but now that I've gotten the game in the state it is, it works better as a GMless game. Like, I'm, I think that's the, not only was it a good marketing decision, I think it was the best decision for the game as a, as a whole. But if anyone's listening, you could very easily GM this game if you wanted to. If you want to be someone's like, well, I, I kind of want to have a GM role. It's not written that way, but there's absolutely nothing that keeping you from one player going, okay, I'm going to be the GM. And rather than some of these charts, I'm just going to make decisions. It will work just fine. So how do we play Action 12 Cinema then? Because it's been, it's been a while since I played. So and it's evolved heavily just yeah. in like the last six to eight months. It's definitely solidified. I had, a, I had a lot of ideas that were kind of circling like a drain. And as it's gotten closer and closer, it's solidified. It's just, it's a better game now than it was even six, eight months ago. Okay. But basically it, it, it takes place in two main phases. I call them the pre-production phase and then the production phase. Again, trying to tie it into like movie lingo. And the pre-production phase is where you have a series of player prompts that you either just decide or you use some D12 charts or a combination of both to lay out the general structure of the movie story that we're going to be playing through. So you, you determine things like genre, who the bad guy is, who, what the general plot is. Uh, the obstacles that you're going to face. So you just have a bunch of charts that you go through kind of in order, and it helps determine some loose structure to the story that you're playing. Once you've gotten all of those laid out, you create some locations, you create some NPCs, and then you finally create your own characters. Now, you can do those in other orders if you want. I particularly find that to be the most satisfying order because I like creating my character after we've already created the structure because I think it helps me create a character in my head that fits the story. But you could easily create a character first and then do go through the other things and then modulate or change or just decide things that help fit the type of character you've created. Again, once the book's in your hand, do whatever the hell you want. But I think, that, I think it works best that way. And then once you're ready to actually start playing the game... You just take turns going around the table. There's no initiative order, but every player should get to go once before any player gets to go again. And you just decide how your character is interacting with the story. And at some point during that turn, you decide that you're going to roll dice. You're going to determine what you're trying to do based off of the obstacle and the narration and the world that you're playing in. You roll some dice and the dice tell you if you did a good job. 
And if you did a good job, then you're closer to being done with that obstacle or that act. If you did a bad job, maybe you're not any closer. And if you did a terrible job, things got it worse. And then you've got to come up with new complications or you've got to find a way to narrate why what you did actually didn't help. And this is the thing that, that gets me the most excited. To be per- perfectly honest, this is where I'm all my energy is at right now. Because it's a GMless game and because you have so much control over when and where you roll the dice, this is absolutely a GM training machine. If you think about okay. it the right way, if you want to be a game master of any system, this game will help you gain confidence and ability to do that. And I've said this many, 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 many times on the show. I don't know how to teach someone to be an improv GM. Like, I feel like it's just, you just got to do it. I created a game that does. This game helps you practice being an improv GM. And, and here's what I mean. And this, this is my example I've been trying to use. So let's say that in our game, we're playing our action movie. We are get about to get into a car chase. And so that's the obstacle that the game is we are the game has is car chase. And you can kind of interpret it however you want, but we're just gonna go by very broad. You've probably seen in an action movie where like the cop figure holds up their badge and their gun and they stop someone in their car and then they kind of like take over that car and that's the car they use to chase somebody. In some movies, they throw the person out on the street. Other person, times the, the person's still in the car with them. Sometimes the other person's still driving, you know, so you have an action or a dramatic or a comedic scene between these characters, right? So now you're driving down the street and you're weaving in and out of traffic. Maybe you run some red lights. And so you see the cars that are coming the opposite way have to stop. Maybe they even crash behind you. You, then you, you finally get up even with the person you're chasing. You try to run them off the road, and maybe you, you run them into like those water barrels on the interstate. There's a big water explosion, and you get out of your car, and you see, hey, I've caught the person, right? Well, the way the game works, you can decide at any point when you're going to roll your dice to determine if you actually were successful or not. And it kind of makes sense to go through all that narration grab the car, you weave it out of traffic, you run the red lights, you run them off the road, they crash spectacularly into these water barrels, and then you roll the dice. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing it that way. But you could roll the dice at the very beginning of your narration, and maybe that determines what kind of car you get. If you rolled really well, then you just happen to get someone in like a Porsche or a Mustang, like a really big muscly car, And that's why you're closer to being successful, because for the rest of your narration, you have this really muscular, powerful car. If you roll really terrible, maybe the only person who stopped is in an old S10 pickup or even like a moped, depending on how silly you want to get. Or you get the car that you want, and but as you're weaving out in and out of traffic, that's when you roll. And if you roll well, you weave in and out of traffic and no one's fine. You know, maybe the people behind you wreck, but you're okay. If you roll poorly, Maybe you get into an accident and the car that you're driving is damaged and now you have to switch cars and that slowed you down and that's why your role wasn't very successful or, or that's what the not very successful role means. Or maybe you roll later when you're on the highway and you're trying to run them off of the road and you roll well, you run them off the road. If you roll poorly, they run you off the road. So you get to pick where in the narration you roll and that kind of gives you different options for how you interpret the success or failure of the role. And that's what I mean by this is a GM training machine is once you realize, wait, I can choose where I roll and then that 
gives me different options to determine what the roles mean, but we're all moving in the same direction. It just gives you so many opportunities to improvise and just take things that are in the story and change and use them in different ways. That's what I think is very exciting from a, we're teaching you how to be a GM standpoint. Does that make sense at all? It, it does make sense. few questions from that. So let's say you do a whole scene, all right? You're doing your narration bit and you just don't do it until the end. Yep. You just wait, like, and then you, you describe this super cool thing that just happened. Everything happened and you get to the end and now you're like, oh yeah, now I'm going to roll. And you roll and you fail. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that what you did before just doesn't happen? No. How do you, Every, what do you do? Everything that you said happened has to happen. That the game only works that way. That's the challenge to you as the player is then how do you reconcile the fact that you narrated what appears to be success, but the act isn't over yet? And that's where maybe you have to re, re, uh, resource the table or you have to go into a deep playbook or movie knowledge. Maybe the person you're after wasn't actually the person you're after. It was a decoy. I'm sure you've seen ah, that in movies where yeah. they go up to the car with the gun out and the guy's like, I'm sorry, man, he gave me $1,000 and told me to do this. And then it turns out the person you were after got into a different cab and is now across town. So you have to find a way for what you said happening didn't actually solve the problem. And that's sort of the other trick of the game is if you can create your own sort of mini obstacles that you can solve incrementally, then the game makes a lot more sense narratively. doesn't mean it's necessarily more fun, but it does make a more cohesive structure. So that's why I would encourage you to roll earlier. Roll to see what kind of car you get and then turn the turnover to someone else. Roll to see if you weave in and out of traffic successfully and then turn the turnover so that you can build to an ultimate conclusion that makes sense narratively. Now, sometimes it's more fun to do it the opposite way and describe success and then have to figure out why it wasn't success. But I think those are kind of the two big secrets of the game is knowing that you control when you roll, but knowing that if you create your own mini obstacle, it makes more sense. Like another example is a fire. That fire is a very common obstacle in the game. It comes up a lot. So let's say you're dealing with a fire. If you say, I go get a fire extinguisher, I come out and I spray the fire extinguisher at the fire, and then you roll... What happens if you roll poorly? Like, how do you explain that? So I think it makes more sense to say, well, I'm going to look for a fire extinguisher and then roll. Because then if you roll well, you found one. And if you didn't, then it was missing. But was it missing because it's just like not up to date and it like is, you know, expired? Or did someone hide it? Like, is this an arson plot now? So the story will actually kind of evolve and change based off of the roles because you interpret what it means. Again, okay, hopefully that makes sense. It does make sense. So I want to ask you then, typically, you know, a, a trad RPG, you basically, you describe what you do, and usually you, you kind of do like one thing, and then the GM stops like, oh, no, 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 you can't do all that stuff. You need to just roll for that. So, but in this game, why why do it this way? Why choose to allow the player to pick when they do the dice roll. What was the intent behind that? Because it's fun. Okay. And I've said this before, like for a lot of people, when you're playing a traditional RPG, if you're not the GM, if you're like, you're attacking a creature, usually that's the moment where the, the GM turns over narrative control when you've killed that goblin. And it says, okay, you get to describe what killing that goblin looks like. And for a lot of players, myself included, that's really fun. 
because I get to describe what that looks like. So I've taken that moment and made that the entire game. You always have complete control over what is happening in the story, but it only really works if you kind of understand that you still have to play with other people and you have to like hand the turn off. So that's maybe the difficulty that some people might have is how do I have unlimited power but I still can't do it all myself. So I can describe whatever I want happens and it does happen, but I may have to turn it over to you and you might actually be the one that finishes out the turn. So that's the collaborative you know, nature of it. You have to be willing to give and push and pull a little bit for it to kind of make sense as a cohesive story. So, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but also during this, the first part, of the game, the production, the pre-production, is that what yeah, you call it? Yeah, pre-production phase. Is, I mean, you are creating rules to the world in general guidelines, correct? Sort of. So, like, we actually played last night just a, a friendly game, wasn't for a stream, wasn't for a podcast, uh, with a couple people who had not played before and one person who had not played in a long time and the game had changed. And so, for example, our obstacles were... Computer system malfunction, artificial AI, or uh, AI out of control was like what our, our main bad guy was, right? And so in the beginning, we're talking about, oh, well, we're in space, so probably we're dealing with like a Terminator situation. You know, HAL 3000 AI is gained sentience. It's going to try to kill us. Maybe our space station is going to crash into the planet. So we're kind of brainstorming some ideas of how we're going to apply these different obstacles. But once the game starts, it can change and it can evolve. It can even evolve halfway through an obstacle if it makes more sense or in some cases it makes less sense. And in this particular case, just as sort of like a lark, one of us threw out the idea that Alf, like the actual character Alf, would be in our movie. And partway through, AI stopped being artificial intelligence and it became Alf intelligence. And, and Alf ended up becoming our main bad guy because it just seemed to be more fun. And so we started making all these jokes about the alpha being the alpha. And so it just kept evolving and changing over time. It doesn't always make a cohesive story because that's, again, we're making a bad movie. And that is a key thing to remember. We're not making a good movie. We're making a bad movie, but it's still a fun movie. So things that don't quite make sense, we just chalk that up to being a bad movie. There was a, a rewrite. Maybe one of the writers made a, like, we used the second draft in one scene, but we used the third draft in another. Character names change. Maybe actors change. So sometimes things don't line up, and we just chalk that up to it being a bad movie, and you just laugh at it and move on rather than go, no, 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 we said this. It has to be that. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't have to make sense as long as you're laughing and having a good time. That's literally all that matters. So what's a, what's a B movie then? Like, tell, like, what is a B movie and what is that story structure like in a B movie? Well, so we're still using a general three-act structure where you have your inciting okay. incident in Act 1, you have rising tension in Act 3, and then you have your climax and your denouement, denouement, I think is how you said, in Act 3. Like, it's the... A, Typical movie structure, if you've watched movies at all, you kind of know how that works. Never watched movies. Okay. But roughly, a B movie is just one that's not as good as it should be for whatever reason. Maybe it doesn't have the best writer, usually doesn't have the best budget, doesn't have the best score, doesn't have the best actors. It has lesser known actors. Um, you have to cut corners. So, you know, one of the famous tropes is that we don't have the budget for that. 
and you will see this in a lot of early like uh, early movies in like fifties and sixties where you don't actually see the thing, but you have characters describe the thing because they couldn't afford to actually pay someone to create a, a, a spectacular monster or even an explosion or an alien spacecraft. So you'll just have the camera focused on some character going, this is indescribably beautiful. I can't even tell you what this looks like because they couldn't show you that. So I like to lean into those sorts of things and have moments where even though we're in a, we could, we're in our mind, we can describe anything, have those things happen that are, you know, classic tropes of a, of a bad movie. Okay. You know, and again, you could have actors change. So maybe you change characters partway through and you just write it up to like an actor got fired. And so all of a sudden you're a different actor playing the same character. And that's part of the joke. Like if you can't keep an accent, like I can't save my life, keep an accent, maybe you just roll with it. And every time you're in a scene, you, you play a different accent and then you just say, well, yeah, I changed actors again. Like the game exists on those meta levels where sometimes you might actually like it might be someone else's turn, but you might throw out a suggestion as if the director is saying, do that again. Stop looking at the camera. Uh, we played a game on a stream recently and one of the, the players described that their actor was brand new. And so they kept looking in the camera. Like you're not supposed to do that as an actor. You're never supposed to look directly in the <laughs> camera. So we threw out the idea that partway through his character got sunglasses Okay. Because that would hide the fact that they kept looking at the camera. So, it, again, there's, it's that collaborative nature. It's a storytelling nature, and it just sort of evolves as the game goes on. As long as you're into that sort of silliness, it works great. But if you're not into that silliness, this is probably not a game for you because it, it definitely is that type of game. What's an example? Do you have a good example of a B-movie? Oh, um, The Last Starfighter. So, okay. usually, think of a really good movie. There's probably a B movie version of it. So, like, instead of Transformers, you have Transmorphers. Okay. Um, you know, Cold the Conqueror instead of Conan the Barbarian. Alan Quartermain in the Last City of Gold instead of Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade or whatever. So, it's usually like these knockoff, not quite main, you know, main name brand versions of these other movies. Uh, some of my favorites growing up, again, I loved The Last Starfighter. It's a B movie. Um, I loved Robinson Crusoe on Mars. It's a definitely a B movie. Uh, Call the Conquerors definitely it's not Conan. So those are the types of movies that I grew up. Uh, Stuff. If you, do you ever watch the movie Stuff? It's sort of no. a knockoff on Blob. It's about uh, this alien creature that basically crashed to Earth, and if it gets into your body, you kind of get taken over and you become part of a hive mind. And it ends up getting put into like a, a yogurt container. So there's this whole conspiracy where people are selling this like yogurt that people eat and then become part of the hive mind. And it's like just spreading across the country. It's terrible, but I loved it. And those are the types of movies that I'm trying to create stories. I'm trying to create with this game. So really yeah. even like sea level might be a better explanation for some of these movies that we do, but it just sounds better to say B movie action D12 dice. For sure. Cause it's like B. I always, I thought B was like bad. Oh no. For like the, we're talking, I know, I know, I know now I know this, but like, we're talking like, as of like when you first started making this game, I thought you were saying B movie action, like, Oh, bad movie action. Like these are bad movies. Well, Sometimes they are bad movies, but there's st- the, the key is that they're still fun because sometimes movies okay. are bad, but fun. And sometimes they're bad and bad. And we're, yeah. we're trying to find the bad, but fun. Like I would say tremors. I love tremors. 
It's a kind of a bad yeah. movie, but it works so well that it's a good movie. Yeah, I was thinking like what I was thinking was like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That might just be a bad movie. Yeah, or like Ghost Rider or like any Nick Cage yeah. movie. I feel like could you could <laughs> slot into this yeah, category. Probably. Okay. All right. So we haven't talked about the well, I've got two mechanics questions for you. All right. First one, how does the uh the dice mechanic work because we we have not talked about this yeah. yet I, i've kind of talked around it a little bit so okay. so when in the pre in the pre-production phase you generate six obstacles and they're they're all these d12 charts and again they can be broadly interpreted so like one of the obstacles is quicksand and in one of the games we played which you can listen to it's on tabletop journeys we ended up interpreting that as we were in a building and the building was being shrunk, but the people were not. So we had to get out of the building before the building shrank so low that it killed us. That, that's what we took quicksand to be. So they're all pretty, they're, they're, they're made to be broadly interpretative. So you can, you don't just have to be like, oh, that's what it is. And like, for example, the game we played last night, one of our obstacles was a ticking clock which usually is like a ticking time bomb, but it can be anything that if you don't do X before Y, bad things happen, right? So again, they're, they're all designed to be broadly interpreted. Well, you go ahead and you create six of them, and usually you have one in Act 1, you have two in Act 2, and you have three in Act 3, and you, you lay them out. When you see all six of them, you go, okay, well, I think this makes the, sen- makes the most sense for our, our final battle, so we'll put that in Act 3. I think this makes the most sense to be in the middle. And so you have kind of a loose structure in mind, but it's still, you can, you know, you can change it if you need to. That's basically kind of how it works. So in Act 1, your obstacle has what I call complication points, and it has 12. Again, kind of leaning into the 12 of the D12, right? So when it's my turn, I'm going to interact with the mechanics based on the character I've created. You always start with 1D12, and then you add more D12s based off of your stats, which we haven't talked about, but you have stats in the game. They have four of them, and they're either rated at zero, plus one, or plus two, and that's how many D12s you adjust. So if you use your zero stat, you would add no D12s. If you added your, if you use your plus two stat, you'd add two more D12s, they're up to three. You have a series of skill slots. You can make up any skills that you want. I think last night we had one Beer Pong Champion 2023. That was one of their okay. skills. Very specific character. Yep. I had one called uh, Space Ninja. So anytime I did anything that was fighting, I said, well, I'm a Space Ninja, so I get to use that skill. So that's part of the joke, too, is you can make these really weird skills. Uh, you can also make them up as you go. That's a very common action movie trope that we, well, we need someone that can scuba dive. And someone's like, oh, you didn't know I spent a summer scuba diving in college. So I can, and so you can just make up a skill in the moment that fits the needs. And then you can have relationships. And the relationships work a couple different ways. So like if we're physically in the same scene, so if I have a relationship, my character has a relationship with your character and we're in the same scene, I can say, well, Tom's character is helping me do this action. So I get to add a D12. Or it could be like an emotional urge or surge. Like I can't let Tom's character get the better of me. So it's like a Gimli Legolas situation or like Mm. um, in that new terrible rock movie with Jason Statham, the Fast and the Furious knockoff, or they're like, competing to see who can be Hobbs the... and... Whoa, 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 whoa. Watch your t- So Hobbs and Shaw and all the Hobbs Fast and, and Furious Shaw. would actually be a great touch point for the types of stories that you can tell in this game. Okay. But so, you know how they're like competing to see who can be the biggest badass? So that would also work. You're like, oh, I'm, I definitely got to show off now because I need Hobbs to see that I'm the better character type of a thing. 
At the end of the day, you should be rolling three, four, or five D12 every time. If you're rolling less than that, you're doing something wrong. There is no min-maxing the game. Like, I want you to roll four or five dice pretty much every time. So you're building a dice pool. You're going to roll your dice. Ones are bad. They're called setbacks, and they're negative one. Twos, threes, fours, five, six, and sevens are blanks. They count as nothings. Eights, nine, tens, and elevens are one success. And then 12s are two successes, and they do something special. And then basically, you're just looking for your total net result. So 1, 1, and 1, 12 would equal one positive result, right? So you the negative 1, the plus 2, cancel each other out. You got one left. And every time you have a success, you subtract from that complication the obstacle has. So if we're, we're in a car chase of 12, and I try to pull someone out of their car, and I roll my dice, and I got a total of three total successes, we're already 25% of the way through that obstacle. So I might describe, yeah, I get into a muscle car. I'm in a Mustang GT, Cobra. I don't know cars. And I'm weaving, <laughs> I'm weaving in and out of traffic, right? And then the next person might go, and maybe they're in the van, and they're using satellite uh, to be like, oh, they're turning left on 7th Street. Uh, there's a traffic, there's a parade. You got to go this way. And so they roll their dice, and they did well. So, yeah, so they've, they've helped me avoid potential problems. So that's why we're getting closer. And maybe there's another person who's on a motorcycle who's trailing behind, keeping other people who are shooting at us to keep us from getting shot at. So that's how they're contributing. And basically everybody on their turn is rolling their dice. They're interpreting how they are helping the overall success of the obstacle, which in this case is a chase. And once we get that 12 all the way to zero, chase is resolved. Yeah. And that's how okay. we get there. I, okay. I remember this. So then can you fail it? Like when's the, when do you guys decide that, Oh, the scene is over, but we didn't get everything. We didn't get all 12. What, like what happens? There? So normally you do want to get to 12 and, and the math is heavily in the character's favor. Like the way the math works, every time you roll, you should get two or three successes. That's the average roll is positive two or three. So it's actually pretty rare for you not to be successful. It does happen though. Sometimes you have too many setbacks. So, if you do have a negative, a net negative result, then you actually add four points back to the obstacle count. So if you start with 12 and you've gotten it down to six, but then you have a fail roll, it goes back up to 10. So you, ha- and so you have to describe what happened. They got further away. I like that. Again, you ran into the traffic and you had to switch cars and now you're on the moped. You don't have the, the GT anymore. If adding four points back would take it above its starting value of 12, you don't do that. Instead, you create a new obstacle. So you would then roll on the chart just then, or you would just make one up in the moment that makes sense. And that one comes in at half value. So it's say six. So let's say maybe the people who were chasing the motorcycle caught up and now we have to have a quick fight. So we're actually, we have a fight obstacle. We're having to beat up some bad guys before we can continue the chase. So now you have a fight obstacle of six that you have to complete before you can get back to the chase. And that, that was kind of how it works. So the game is heavily in the player's favor. You're really never going to lose unless you just want to. Uh, if you want to say that you take a loss, you, you can at any time. But one of the mechanics is what I just call the rewrite. If it ever gets boring, like if you're just rolling terribly and you're like, I can't, I don't want to roll anymore. We've been chasing this guy for seven hours. I'm tired of it. You can just be like, okay, I'm calling a vote. Can we rewrite this? And then you just move to the next act and you just say we completed it. It was, it was a rewrite. It was, again, it was a script error. It was a filming error, continuity error. It doesn't matter. You're in the middle of a chase. Next scene, you're doing something completely different. So at any time that it stops being fun, you just skip over that part. Yeah, I think that kind of makes sense too, going back to this idea of this being, a bad if movie. you think about this game, like 
like a or a party game mm. in the sense of like in a normal RPG you want failures you want setbacks in the sense of so you can create this drama these emotional notes and stuff whereas I feel like with a action movie like this like you just want it to be all high stakes all high energy all the time like that's just my feeling whenever it's not fun you just skip over that part and that's again because you're not playing a campaign you're not really worried about character development you can have dramatic moments like the game is still a role-playing game where you can have those tense moments but they don't it's in, a different type of tension. it is a different type of tension and it only fits in there if you want it to and you can okay. skip over it if you don't all right so now let's talk about all right we've described everything uh how to play the game so what's the so you're going to kickstarter yep. and because there's a few mechanics that we didn't cover because it, it probably is if you don't understand all the rules some of these exceptions won't make sense but there's ways that you as a player have resources to positively impact the role so even if you if you do roll poorly but you don't want to fail here you have ways to you can re-roll you can um, change results you have limited number you can't do it every time because there has to be some stakes built in but like one of the recent rules that we added is a needle drop mechanic that's very common in action movies that you have a needle drop in the middle of an action scene and the song starts playing whether it's diegetic which means it's actually in the scene itself or it's just a score but you can basically take a one and turn it off of a one and make it a a blank if you just name drop the perfect song in the moment. Like, okay, you know, holding out for a hero is the perfect song because that's the perfect song in every action movie. Playing here, so I'm going to take the one that I rolled and we'll turn it to a blank so now I have a positive result. Or if you can actually sing the song, or especially if you get the entire table to start singing the song, or maybe if you don't want to sing, maybe you get somebody pulled up on YouTube and you basically play the song at the table, you can turn that one into a success, which would change it from a negative one to a positive one. So there are ways to change it to positive numbers, even within the rules. If you just, again, you don't have to live with the failures, but sometimes it's fun to fail, but you have limited resources to change that. So with that out of the way, please carry on. Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Okay. Yes. Big deal. Yes. Kickstarter. What's the what's the what's the plan? So I do want to say that I have now partnered with an organization called Penny for a Tale. That is a group that has been kickstarting before. They've ran multiple sex successful Kickstarters. They they know how to do things. They know how to get the book actually finished and published and delivered. And they are going to help me with that. So I'm not doing this all on my own anymore. And we are going to Kickstarter on February 28th, uh, roughly at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern time is when it's going to go live. It's going to run for, there's actually some debate right now on how long it's going to run, because usually you want to run for about 30 days. And I think currently I had it set to run 21. I think we're going to push that back. I think we're going to run for 29, so the, the ending date. But it's going to be at least three weeks up to four weeks. And basically we're looking for enough money to pay for the final riding pass, once that's done, one more last round of editing and layout. I've been ordering art already. I've already got like six or seven pieces of art. We're going to buy more art with the Kickstarter money. So then the art has to be put into the layout as well to make it look all pretty. If we do well enough on the Kickstarter, we want to have some digital tools designed. Because like I, I ran it last night. It's not a great game to run online right now. It's, it's very analog. Like you kind of need physical pieces of paper. So we want to make like some digital tools like Roll20 API just to, because it's really simple. It shouldn't be hard, but 
if yeah. you could make it pretty and make it more digitally accessible, I think that would make it more successful. So that's what we're looking to do. Ultimately, if it does really well, I might actually get paid because right now I have not paid myself anything. You probably need to make a lot of money to get paid because I know how you've been working on this game for a long time. I'm definitely not going to get paid what I've put into it, but I'd like to get yeah. paid back what I've put into it. Cause I did hire someone to help me with editing already and layout already. And I've paid for all the art so far I've paid out of pocket. So, you know, there's like three or $4,000 that I have paid into the game right now, not including what it would cost to get the books printed. So Hopefully it does well enough that I can at least pay myself back for that, if not actually pay myself something for what I've done. But again, I'm just like a catacon. I'm not worried about getting paid. I'm just trying not to lose money. That's my goal here. Okay. So I, so I know, and I ask everybody this question with the caveat that obviously funding and level goals and different things like that can change, but just basic level how much are you thinking people are going to need to contribute to get a copy of Action 12 Cinema? Probably going to be $15 digital, $25 for physical and digital. Okay. I, I'm a big fan of keeping things simple. All right. So I got to... Obviously, I've seen a lot of the behind the curtain stuff, but during this process, design process, everything, like what has been the most difficult portion or piece of designing and getting a game into people's hands. Well, it, that's the part because it hasn't happened yet is going to be fulfillment because you have to deal with printing the book, getting the estimates for how much it will cost so that you, you know, what does it cost me versus what it's going to cost retail versus what's going to cost for shipping. Uh, you know, you could get in a situation where if enough people back at the book, but if you don't set your pledge levels right, you might actually end up losing money on that or, you know, losing money overall. So just making sure that I, I'm not going to get myself in trouble. And that's why I went to this group, Penny for a Tale, because I was terrified that I would mm -hmm. actually have a successful Kickstarter and then end up hosing myself because I didn't do things correctly. But having someone that knows what they're doing so that we'll get, get it printed on time, we'll get it shipped on time. That's the thing that scares me. So that's the part I, I wanted to get some help with. But, um, other than that, it's been fun, but this has also been a very long de developmental cycle. Yeah. I mean, it's been, I think, four years now since I first started putzing around with it, two years since I've really been serious about it. And if I was like an actual designer who did this for a living, that is way too long for the success this Kickstarter is likely to hit. But because this is more of like a hobby passion project, it's, I'm okay with that. Like I don't have, this isn't going to... Like, this isn't how I pay my bills. This isn't how I put food on the table. So anything that I actually were to make as a profit is just going to be bonus. Okay. So then it kind of leads me to a few of my last questions then. Well, this, this game's successful. What's next? Do you have, like, another RPG kicking around? More Action 12? You're going to take a break? Like, what do you think is next from a design per perspective? So I do have a couple ideas and, you know, if the if this Kickstarter does do really well, like, you know, like thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, which I think it has a chance to do those numbers. I'm to be honest, my guess is like eight to 10, I think was probably a good number for us. But, you know, if it just hits the algorithm, because it is about movies, so we might get lucky and maybe some movie, you know, blogs or whatever might talk about it. Uh, if it really goes big, we talked about a trader mechanic, because there isn't one currently. <clears throat> if one of the players wants to be the bad guy, 
So there's no mechanics currently. You could you can make it work, but it's not very elegant. Uh, we talked about a villain mode. So if you want to play the bad guys, which you could basically just reflavor it instead of being the heroes, you could be the bad guys. But you know maybe defining some specific guidelines for that. Uh, but I have a couple different solo games I've been kicking around. One of them's already in development. I've I've kind of settled on the mechanics, but it's basically you're exploring a dungeon as a thief and you're trying to get out with enough treasure to retire. There's a dragon at the end of the dungeon, and there's a, like a push-pull mechanic of do you face the dragon knowing that if you succeed, you are guaranteed to get enough treasure to live the rest of your life, or do you you know leave before that point, and then there's a chance that you will be successful? Um, everything's going to use D12s, but probably, uh, and also have an idea for a game where you play the sheriff in a weekly TV show where there's a murder of the week, but you are starting to have an awakening that you're a character in a show. Okay. So it's kind of like Brindlewood Bay, but sort of like the opposite of that in a way. You are the bumbling sheriff who's like, man, there's a murder in this town every week. And like, why do I sometimes hear applause when the new, like, like all the tropes of the murder of the week mystery, but it's like you're starting to awaken to the fact that you're a character in a show. So that's very high level just thinking about that. Uh, But I do have an idea for an actual like RPG system. You know, it would be my version of like Savage World or GURPS or D&D or Pathfinder, like an actual, this is a campaign style game. I've been kicking that around for a while. It also uses D12s, but it uses like a Yahtzee style mechanic with D6s and D12s where you're trying to get a good Yahtzee or poker hand. So like three of a kind, full house, straight, that kind of thing. Uh, So that's probably... Like if it does really, I'm talking like if it does like Matt Colville numbers where I'm like, I can create my own gaming company now. That's probably what I will focus on. More than likely, I will go to one of these solo games that I, I've been kink, uh, kicking around will be the next thing that I, I develop. But I, this will not be my only game. If this is successful and I don't absolutely lose my shirt, then there this will be the first of many games. Okay. All right. So now, next question. Obviously, you are... You've been doing podcasting mm-hmm. for a long time. A long, long time. Okay. So how does this fit then into like if you were to if you had a decision to make podcasting or making RPGs, what would you pick? Well, I don't think I will have to because I think they're complementary. But if I had to pick, it would be podcasting. Okay, I'm just thinking, the only reason I was just thinking about this, and it's not like, and obviously we have never had this conversation before. I was just thinking like, I was thinking about like James Intercasso, mm-hmm. all right, how he, and I don't think, I think you're different. I, I, it was a kind of a different situation, but like how he gave up the podcast to really just focus on game design. And I was just thinking about how, what you were thinking as far as if this is successful, like what is that, what's that look like? What's that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I won't lie that I've thought about that. Like, what happens if this just hits? You know, and it, again, mm-hmm. it does three hundred thousand dollars. It does a million dollars. There's no way it's going to. But what if it does? I mean, it's like I I play the lottery like three times a year, but I still think about what would I do if I won a million dollars? Like, you know, how would I spend that money? So I have thought about the versions of the story where I'm suddenly completely independently, not wealthy, but I have, I'm financially independent. I can do whatever I want now. I, I don't have to do my job. I'm not beholden to that. And in that case, I still see myself podcasting and I still see myself running games. Catacons not going to go away. I might, might change. I might run out the whole DCC, even if I can't afford it, just so I don't have to deal with all the other stupid stuff. 
but it's not going to change a lot on the face. It just might reduce mm-hmm. some of my anxiety behind the scenes on stuff. And I'll probably will hire someone to edit. I will speak. I'm not, I'm yeah. not editing anymore. That'll be someone else's job. That would be great. Would be. I really hope this is super <laughs> successful. We can turn this into like hiring an editor for the pot. No, no. Okay. No, it was just one of those things that I was like, I was kind of, I was kind of just, you know, thinking about like, where yeah. does this, where's this go? Like, what's the goal? I would love to find out together. So support the Kickstarter, help make these dreams come true. February 28th, three o'clock PM. And Again, just very quick, the hard sell, the way Kickstarter works, in case anyone is confused, they do not charge your, your card when you pledge. They only charge you when it is successful. So if you're going to pledge at any time, go ahead and pledge day one, because the way the algorithm works on Kickstarter, if a whole bunch of people come in on day one and start pledging, it's going to get pushed up in the algorithm. It's going to get in front of more people. It's more likely to get more people backing it. So if you pledge $5 on day one, that's more valuable than charging than pledging $50 on day seven. Like the way the math works out, it's going to help. So please, if you're going to pledge even a dollar, do it on day one as quickly as you can. There'll be links in the show notes to go to the pre-launch page that you can click to notify me. So soon, you'll get an email as soon as it's live. If you're going to support it all, please go do it right away. If, if there's any chance of this hitting and, and making those dreams come true, it's going to require, require a lot of people day one throwing some support. Wow, pretty bold of you as a guest on my podcast to talk about what I should include in my show notes. Yeah, it is, but I, so, I have back-end access, okay. so I can do that. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's... Oh, yeah, Kickstarter is is so weird as far as that, for real. Like, if you... Are think even if you like are like oh, I'm not gonna even like okay, this is probably I don't know if this is illegal with <laughs> Kickstarter or whatever. But even if you don't plan on getting this game, you're like I have no desire to get this game. Yeah, just back five bucks on day one. It will go a long way, long, long way. And, and then we've told everybody this, and now everybody like takes their pledge away on the last day. That, but by that time, the algorithm has already done its work. I mean, but don't do okay. that. Just throw don't th- do throw that. what you can just afford. You, again, even if it's just one dollar, throw it just throw it on day one. And then if something See, happens, yeah. you a bill, your car breaks down, and you're like, you know what, I can't afford one dollar on the last day. No worries. Will not hurt my feelings whatsoever. But if everyone does that, that would be bad. That would be bad. But that would be freaking hilarious. <laughs> I would think that would be so funny. Like if that happened, yeah. I would be like, oh, look at this. Okay. No. So, I mean, look, I had, I really did have a lot of fun playing Action 12 Cinema and I played it a long time ago when it was a very rough. Oh, it's so much better now. It really is a totally different, better game now. I ran it last night and it it's smooth now. Because I remember it was like, it was a few months. That was probably like six months ago. You got to this point where you were like, I think you said in Discord, you're like, I think I actually have a game yeah. now. There, there was a point where it stopped being this thing and uh, it became a game. Okay. No, I mean, I really do. I think it's cool. I think that we need more party games. Like, I think it's a a, a slot in the RPGs that we just don't have i want games that are accessible easy to play easy to learn like that's what i and also i want those games that have a really high production value because i feel like a lot of those games just the games are like really quick games are just really you know good games but they just don't have that really nice production value stuff you get on indiegogo or itch whereas this 
I mean, the cover alone the on this game. The cover is amazing. And that interior art. Sells again, uh, Zach and Michael. I haven't seen the interior it's art. It's awesome. It is so good. Like, it's it's exactly what I wanted. It looks like, if anyone's familiar with the way movies are made, it's like the uh, the storyboards. So, like, for these big oh, action okay. movies, they hire artists to basically draw the entire movie. And they're like, here's where the camera is going to be. And this is what the stunt performer is going to jump off the building. This is what it's going to look like. And so all of my art kind of looks like something you'd see from a movie or behind the scenes of a movie. And it's absolutely, I'm loving Some of them's cracking me up. I got one today that made me laugh out loud when I saw it. Nice. Yeah. You lulled. I lulled. Okay. I actually right. lulled. Okay. All right. So folks, definitely go check out Action 12 Cinema. Like Michael said, we will include all those links in the show notes. February 28th. 20- Last day of February. Last day of February. Go back this. Michael, thank you for coming on my podcast. I'm so happy to be here because, Tom, I'll will, I will be perfectly honest for a moment because I've been full up until now. What you're doing with Show and Tell is great. And more people, sh- you're giving a platform to indie game designers that is just absolutely, I'm not saying it's unique, but it's special. And I think more people need to be listening. And I'm honored to be included. I appreciate that. Like I said, I want show and tell just to be two people talking. That's it. You know, we like games. Let's talk about them. Let's buy them. You know, in your case, make them. So it's just fun to do. So, Michael, thanks once again. Uh, People who don't know, they can go follow you at the RPG Academy on everything. Uh, See what we're doing. You can follow me at BezcarTom on Twitter and then, yeah, definitely don't forget, check out Action 12 Cinema uh, on February 28th. And that's it. So, folks, don't forget, if you're having fun. You're doing it. You're doing right. right. Okay. We will see you later, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time.
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.